What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 205 of the Just an Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Batbeck. I am your host and guide through said podcast, and life is getting back to normality. I went to a fucking gig. Um, as if anyone listened to last week's show, I was kind of umming and ahhing about it, but I took the leap of faith. I went and saw Bob Villain at the exchange. And it was fucking brilliant. It was so good to be back in live music. It was a little bit uneasy because I was one of very few people wearing masks. Um, but each to their own, I guess. Uh, and even though I am double jabbed, like I still just wanted to kind of take that safety precaution. But yeah, it was really cool to be back. Bob Villain were really, really fucking cool. Um, so yeah, here's to being back to shows and stuff is fucking lovely isn't it for everyone who's done it thus far for everyone who hasn't i totally understand it like as i said it's very much each to their own but this was an opportunity for me to kind of it wasn't like wild which was good for like i think if i'd gone to the the uk hardcore return show i would have like i would have felt way too anxious but this was like the perfect kind of comeback show so yeah nice to nice to be back Apart from that, not a whole lot more to report. Still chilling in my new HQ in Bristol at the moment. Looking for a permanent place to live, which, fingers crossed, might be sooner rather than later. Um, In terms of new stuff that I've been listening to, some really cool releases actually came out this week. Obviously, the new Death Heaven record is very, very different, but I like it. I think it's really cool. Uh, The new Ingrown record is just chef kisses. Uh, Tyson Eyed, really cool. The new Dare record, fucking that is a straight edge bangers. That and I think you're going to be hard pushed to find a better hardcore record coming out this year. I say that there's a lot of really good hardcore records out this year. Uh, one of which is uh, the new uh, Through Dying Eyes record, which is an album that I got put on to by a friend and is very 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 fucking good so yeah again like it just seems to be week after week at the moment we're just getting just incredible new music and it's kind of hard to keep up with but trying my best and hope everyone has new stuff that they're digging if there's stuff that you are really into give us a shout let us know i'm always happy to check out new stuff um speaking of bands who have released new records this year my guest this week has done exactly that, and I am joined this week by guitarist of uh, melodic hardcore band Time and Pressure, James Carroll. Um, we talk about how kind of the usual how James got into music, but we kind of start off backwards. So we talk about how Time and Pressure have sort of been talking about the future of the band and how the lockdown has kind of affected them in terms of releasing their new record. Uh, we talk about James now living nearly out nine hours away from his bandmates and what that's looking like for the future. But just, yeah, in general, how he's kind of like gone from booking shows, falling out of love with shows, getting back into shows. He's had a really kind of up-down journey and it's cool to see the love that he has putting into Time Pressure and that now getting the recognition that I think it's well-deserved and I know many other people do. So hopefully they're going to Obviously, as in the conversation James explains, they've all got pretty hectic schedules, but hopefully the tail end of this year, early next year, we see them a lot more and potentially over here in the UK and Europe. 
But for now, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with James, and I'll see you on the other side. Right, so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is Time and Pressure guitarist James Carroll. James, thank you very much for taking some time and having a little chat with me. Um, I guess like things are gearing up in a direction for you guys, but like I wanted to kind of start with the now rather than the usual way I start is kind of start at the beginning of your journey. But just because like you guys obviously have the record out, but your record release show isn't until October, and I know like bands are, are starting to do shows again. And is, is there a reason like you're holding off, or are you eager to get there? Like, what what's the reasoning behind that? So. When we, we started writing the record back in like, I don't know, the, the later part of 2019, we, we kind of planned to take a little time from touring and, and start to write. Mm. So we started writing around then and then the pandemic hit. So basically during the pandemic, we spent the whole time writing. Right. And as the, and we recorded in like November and we just been kind of sitting on it at the plant. So with plant delays, our record got sh- shipped out in like February, I think, mm. to the plant. And I think our completion date is sometime it's kind of like a toss up. It just got pushed again. So it's sometime between September and October. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're doing the show for like to have the physical, is that? Yeah. Right? And we're not playing in between now and then. I, I moved 600 miles away. I live in Cleveland, Ohio oh. now. So <laughs> okay. I live, you know, like a nine hour drive from everyone else. Um, we have someone that's going to fill in for like local stuff, but we just don't have anything planned except for, uh, the record release mm. in October. And then it just kind of worked out because we're playing prom core, uh, down in Tulsa the next day. So it just kind of worked out where our friends were all kind of heading down to prom core on the same time. So it just kind of worked out to where we can make them stop in St. Louis the day before. That's cool. That's really the only reason that's just mainly just, we just want to have physical copies and, and the, the rate it's looking right now, we might not. So I guess <laughs> we'll have to kind of play that by ear. That's the thing. Like I, I think I saw like Deathwish put like something up the other day. Like their tone turnover at the moment is like, well, the wait time, sorry, is like somewhere between a year to eighteen months just to get yeah, like physical. Yeah, we we lucked out and got ours in like kind of before it got really really bad. Like we, they were kind of telling us before, just like you know, it could take anywhere between like eight to nine ish months. When before it would take maybe four. Yeah. Start to so we approved, we, it got sent off in February. I want to say we approved tests in like the middle of March, maybe. So I've had my test press since then. Mm. And we've just been waiting for the plant. That's it was cool. supposed to be mid September. And then it got pushed to early September. And now it's looking like it might be the second week of October. Mm. And then once it's completed there, it, it's coming from, from the Czech Republic. So it takes 30 days by freight to get to the States. So then we had to add, we have to add like an extra month in to factor in like just timing on stuff. So yeah, yeah it's not looking great, but I mean, <laughs> what can you do? Bert at Safe Inside is kind of trying to figure out if he can get us moved around a little bit because the Chemical Fix record had the same issue. Mm. Ours got set around the same time as theirs and theirs somehow got like bumped up like a couple of months actually. Like he just got a random email saying like, hey, this completion date's going to be bumped up a few months. So you might have it sooner. So that's, that's kind cool. of open for at this point. And just in terms of that, because obviously, like, you guys have released the actual, like, record digitally rather than, mm-hmm. like, waiting like some bands are. So what was it just because you wanted to get it out there? Because I know, obviously, you did the two-song, like, promo, mm-hmm. which yeah. kind of gave some people, like, something to chew on in the meantime. But, yeah, what was the reasoning behind getting it out straight away? 
that's pretty much it we just didn't feel like waiting we figured you know i don't want from coming from like a standpoint of myself i did i wouldn't want to buy a record in july without at least like hearing most of it if not yeah. all of it um and and know that it's not going to be like in my possession for at least like three or four months so it was more or less just like you know the record may take a while but we will get to start playing shows and touring before the record comes out at this point probably hmm. so might as well have it out there which i think has really been the best it's been great for us like we did the single rollout like we had a few songs come out before the full record drop and then like you said we had the promo but the promo was actually supposed to be like a seven inch okay um, with another label blind rage out of dayton uh, is James a friend of mine? He he puts out records that I like, and I have some personal connection with Dayton, so we we're kind of make a little project out of it. But vinyl times were starting to be kind of wonky around then. Our schedule is a little weird, so it ended up just being a a flexi and a tape. That's cool. Well, I'm going to drag you way back to the beginning now because we've we've started a bit backwards. But <laughs> how I like to kind of usually start this is like to ask my guests what they how they kind of got into alternative music in the first place. So. What was your kind of first exposure to alternative music and what kind of got you into it? It was really just like hearing Blink-182 and stuff mm. like that on the radio. Um, I kind of dove into that. And then my dad, uh, despite his best efforts, did not like any of that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And to, like, kind of, to kind of like deter me away from it, uh, played Black Flag, uh, the, <laughs> the, the damage record for me. And it was just like, what you're listening to isn't punk. This garbage is. And I was just like, oh, this is a lot better and I like this. So it kind of just like went from there. That's, pretty, that's weird that he was like, put Black Flag to kind of put you off it, which I, I know. And yeah, it's it, like it, black, the Black Flag bars ended up being like one of the first tattoos I ever got too because of that. It, I don't know, it's just really funny. <laughs> yeah, so he was trying to deter me away from it and then it just, I don't know, it just kind of made it worse. <laughs> so I'm kind of guessing like from there, then you were you just kind of like digging in and like finding all these different bands? Was somebody showing yeah, them to you? I got really, really into like street punk and uh, like early 80s hardcore. So a lot of like Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, you know, like the starter stuff. Yeah. And I started diving into like more like current street punk around that time. So I was probably like sixth grade. So I was probably around 11 or 12, uh, like casualties records, lower class brats, stuff like that. I lived in Texas at the time and a lot of there's a lot of like of street punk and oi and stuff like that happening around Texas. Okay. So I kind of delved into that first and then got into hardcore a little bit like when I was probably 14, got more into like current hardcore and then just kind of went from there. So well, obviously you said about like your dad showing you Black Flag, but like was it were you kind of actively seeking these bands out or were people like showing them to you? How did you kind of discover them? Um, it was like a dude I met in middle school, actually, when I was in seventh grade. I was in sixth grade. He was in eighth grade um he kind of just burnt me cds that mm. he had so like anti-flag um some bad religion cds um he got me into sublime when i was younger so i started getting into like more ska stuff around that time too like operation ivy was big for me and like rancid and you know just this stuff like that yeah and then yeah he burned cds and kind of just took me under his thing and then a friend of mine uh from middle school we just kind of both got into it at the same time together mm. and started finding local shows and then her dad would basically just like take us to local shows okay so were you going to like like local shows from quite a young age then yeah yeah i started, I think i went to my first local show when i was 12 okay cool. I, I booked my first show when i was 14 or 15 oh wow yeah i i've been punishing myself booking shows for a long time now, so. <laughs> well well get onto that in a moment but just in terms of kind of like i guess that sort of discovering local shows because i think like for a lot of people 
they kind of like start at the bigger show and kind of work backwards in in some mm-hmm. aspects. So was it the flip for you? Like, did you start going to like smaller yeah. shows? I went to small local punk shows. Uh, the first couple shows that I went to were like, there's locals in San Antonio where I lived at the time. So it's like Filthy and the Muff Divers was a big one that we would try to go see all the time. Uh, there's a band called Nuclear Fish Sticks that had been around since like, I think like the early 90s. There were just a bunch of older dudes playing, mm. which was straightforward punk um just stuff like that and then i would go to other shows with other friends that happen to be in like the weird like scene metal like swoops uh bangs like yeah yeah scene. so i was kind of just i think at that age you're just kind of hungry for whatever you can go to mm. so from from a very early time i was just like well i want to go to everything that's it's cool something to do something interesting even if i didn't like the stuff still go and just like hang out and just get exposed to other stuff so it was pretty easy to find out like what i did and what i didn't like yeah <laughs> yeah and because like obviously from like an outside perspective like i kind of know like texas as being sort of like the home of kind of like thrash and crossover and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but when you were growing up like as you say was there a bit of everything like that you could kind of dabble into kind of yeah i mean i remember seeing bitter end when i was really young oh sick um because i think Bitter end started when i was probably or bitter end was like doing more shows and stuff when i was in high school so when i was a little bit older um i saw balls out once when i was younger which was riley gale's band pre-power trip oh cool um, it was more like a melodic like just kind of straightforward hardcore band it was really great like it's it's one of the i think as much as power like as the more power trip got bigger the more people kind of found out about about balls out which yeah. is kind of cool um kind of like a little hidden gem of that area um but yeah i mean for the most part I just kind of went to whatever I could and saw some stuff. Like I saw My Chemical Romance at Avenged Sevenfold at a small club without really realizing who they were. Just because, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that's something I want to. That's something to do. Let's go to it. And then I, I look back on it now and it's like, oh, that's crazy. Like they were touring off of, like that three uh, Cheers for Sweet Revenge record. Yeah, saw yeah. People are like Story of the Year played, uh, St. Louis. They're not St. Louis, of course. They St. They played San Antonio one time when I went. I was probably 15, 16, and like Page Avenue had just come out yeah it's just like oh there's like 40 people here that's crazy and then the next year they blow up they're just like oh it's just something to do (laughs) it's just weird how stuff like that works out that's cool so then you mentioned obviously like you kind of elevated and then discovered like the hardcore side of things so again like was that just you sort of finding your way or was did somebody kind of put you onto a specific band and then you were like oh no this is the shit that i'm into I think it was just going to other shows and just kind of digging in a little bit more. Um, Cause MySpace was a thing around that time in MySpace. Mm. I still, to this day, think that's like the best tool that has ever been oh, utilized yeah. for like small bands. It was so great. And like you were able to find all kinds of different stuff and you had the show listings and it just made it a lot easier, more accessible. And I don't know, I think it was just a mixture of that showing up to whatever I could and just kind of taking away bits and pieces from, from just all the different like exposure I had to, to alternative music around that time. Mm. I think so like it's funny with you mentioned with the MySpace thing like obviously now they're like huge bands but obviously for someone over like in the UK I just remember like I think it was either like on Death Wishes or someone like because obviously you had the top eight didn't you and that's how I always (laughs) that's how I discovered people's bands because like I listened to a band I was like oh I like them and I'll check out their top eight and I think like there was one it it might have even been Half Hearts I can't remember but it was like Half Heart Total Fight, Blacklisted, Cold World, and all these bands that, like, at that point I hadn't heard of and I thought were, like, these little gem of a bands. And then, yeah. as you say, like, uh-huh. the next year, like, they're touring yeah, the UK, year, yeah. they're t- touring <laughs> Europe and all this. It was just, yeah. 
It was a really, yeah, it, it was a really cool like time for dude, like, it, it was such music. a good tool for discovering music, and then like you still had like the the file sharing. I mean, streaming's cool, but you still had like file sharing programs around that time too. And I used LimeWire for the first time in probably like fuck, fifteen years or so, like a yeah, few yeah. weeks ago, like a few months ago, just to to download some like old Japanese hardcore that I couldn't find <laughs> on streaming anywhere. Throw my phone, and I was just like, oh my god, this is. I, it was just like exciting to be like using that program again for the first time in so long. I was just like, man, this feels familiar. People will stop like people will stop sharing files with you if you're ordering or if you're downloading too much and all this other stuff. And I was like, oh, that's great. Like people on Lamar are still like pretentious and annoying. <laughs> Comforting to know that things don't change sometimes. That's cool. So but then like once you kind of like discovered hardcore, like you mentioned obviously seeing like Bitter End like early on, but were there any kind of bands that you like really gravitated to like in the early days that you were like really latched onto? Not that I can really think of. Honestly, I was just kind of taking everything in all at the same time. Like, I got really into the faster stuff, just transitioning from punk uh, to the more hardcore side. So I was, was really big into Ruiner and, like, obviously Have Heart and, you know, other things that my band currently rips off now. So, like, <laughs> th- those influences that I had when I was younger, bands that I listened to when I was younger, definitely, like, still carry over to, like, stuff I'm involved in now. Mm. So I think, like, it was just the faster stuff. And I got really into, like, government warning and like the no like the the more like hardcore punk side of things too so a lot of like firestarter records stuff and stuff from like no way or uh, no way records and uh, great mistake records was a huge thing for me just like all those fast bands like cardiac arrest things like that the stuff that leaned more towards like sounding like jerry's kids rather than strife that's cool so then in terms of you like playing music obviously like we know you now as a guitarist at the time of pressure but like has guitar always been what you were gravitated towards or did you kind of dabble with something before you landed on guitar? Yeah, I played bass. Um, when I was, I got my first bass, I think when I was 13 mm. and I started a punk band with some friends, uh, in Texas. When I lived in, I lived in West Texas for a little bit in this place called Abilene, it's a real small, like Christian town. So we started a punk band. I did that for a couple of years and then we moved to St. Louis when I was uh, about to be done with high school. And then I got, into playing guitar and me and drew our singers first band we had a band that kind of sounded like floor punch and uh i just i played guitar in that and that was probably 2010 maybe 2011 hmm. so yeah i've only been playing guitar for i don't know just under a decade at this point oh, okay now. that's cool so, so yeah, i played guitar in that for a little bit and then we kind of i've just been on guitar ever since really. yeah so what kind of drew you to the bass in the first place i was had four strings seemed easy that's <laughs> <laughs> really about it it's like and then guitar was more out of like necessity because the guy who we were friends with at the time who played guitar didn't want to play guitar. He wanted to sing. So I was just like, yeah, I could figure this out. It can't be that hard. That's cool. Kind of that. But like, is your like family like musical? Like what was the urge to kind of like pick up an instrument in the first place? Not None of them are. My mom and my dad both are not musical, like in the slightest bit. I think it was more just wanting to be involved uh, more on a, and more on more of a surface level hmm. and actually get involved and like play music. And just not, I mean, going to shows is involvement and I think it's very important, but like, you know, sometimes some people just want to get more involved. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought that was something I wanted to do. That's cool. So then like you mentioned the sort of like punk band that you, you were in. So was that kind of the the first band that you were in? Yeah. Yeah. We played a handful. I know we probably played a good chunk of shows. Um, we always did like demo tapes. We recorded tapes. Uh, I had like a, a little tape deck that I would just sit in the middle of, my practice our practice space which was like my parents like office in their house <laughs> yeah put it in the closet just to kind of muffle it a little bit we'd record 
just straight through live. And then I would dub maybe like a handful, like maybe a dozen tapes. And then we would just give them out to friends for the, like the handful of shows that we played. We probably, we were probably a band for maybe a year. Yeah. And I will say we probably played like five or six shows in that time. Cause we were just like a young punk band in a, in a scene that were there was not a lot of younger bands playing oh, okay like, just kind of thrown into things like oh yeah you guys are young you can play this yeah yeah so i i don't know like during that uh, as you say like it was only sort of short-lived but like did you kind of then get like the itch to sort of like want to ca- like carry it on and know like did you get that feeling of knowing that oh this is something that i definitely want to do or did that no, kind of come really. later on i want to say i was probably 15 when that band broke up and mm. i didn't play in a band again until I moved to St. Louis and I was probably, I was probably 18. Okay. So there was, there was like a, a couple of years where I didn't, I didn't play music and I just kind of went to shows and started getting more into like the promoting side a little bit when I was younger. Okay. So then, well, I guess this is a good point to kind of touch upon the, the promoting side of things. Cause obviously I know, obviously you're still sort of booking shows and stuff now. So what, what was the kind of want to sort of do that? Cause I, so I used to book shows like back where I used to live. And like, it was a similar thing, like you kind of have that feeling like you want to give back and, and sort of do a bit more for the scene. So, but as you said, like you booked your first show when you were like 14. So I don't know, did you have that train of thought or was it just like a cool thing to do? I just wanted to, it was just bands that I wanted to see. I would just reach out and be like, hey, if you ever want to come here, like I'll do it. Cause we had, there was like a good chunk of spaces uh, in the city that I lived in at the time. So. It, you know, it was pretty easy to book shows and if you were younger they wouldn't really charge you a bunch of money for like rent or sound or anything like that it was more or less just like have people show up they'll play mm. they'll leave that's kind of it so i mean it was pretty easy like i booked a handful of shows around that age and i stopped for for a couple of years and then i started picking it up really heavily probably i don't know six years ago or so um once i moved to st louis and like lived there for a, a handful of years uh, me and Drew, our singer, started booking shows together, mm. and then he kind of stopped, and then I just took over really heavily over the last like couple of years until that's, I moved. That's cool, but like, I guess that kind of like first show because like, so I booked. I think I was, yeah, I would have been at about eighteen, nineteen when I booked my first yeah. show, and like I'd kind of known people that had done it, so I'd kind of got a feel for how to kind of do it but I was still like completely like green of, of like the ins and outs of it so being 14 like I can't even imagine it so how did you know like what to do so the the thing the cool thing about that area was the people who booked the shows were usually younger okay. so it's like I booked show I booked a few shows there and I was when I was like 13 or 14 to 15 ish and then a friend of mine who's about the same age booked a handful of shows and it was just more or less just getting in touch with people like again MySpace was a huge one for mm. that especially because people don't really know how old you are exactly <laughs> yeah. so they don't, when they, when, when they're talking to you about money and stuff through messaging, it's, it's, it's easier to kind of posture. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm like 17 or 18. Like this is more weird. <laughs> yeah. And then they meet you and you're just like, yeah, dude, like I'm in ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it was just kind of explained to me in a way. It was just like, all right, you find a place, you put bands in it. You tell people that there's going to be bands there. They show up, you pay the band and then that's it. So I just yeah. kind of looked at it in a really rudimentary kind of way. So it never really seemed like super intimidating or anything to me. So it was just kind of like, oh, I can do that. That's easy. And then that's kind of how it went. That's cool. And then like, as I got more and more into it and started dealing with other stuff, it's a lot less easier than it is now. <laughs> yeah. But... So just in, like in terms of that, I always find it interesting, like for people who book shows, like are there any shows that like you're really proud of in terms of like 
whether it be a band you never thought you'd have the chance to book or just like a show went really well oh yeah absolutely um i booked power trip on an off date with oh, cool. uh, they toured with anthrax one time and i got to i booked them on an off date with like three weeks notice and like the show did well but um that was just a band i, I wanted to book for a long time mm. it always kind of seemed unattainable uh and then i did i've done like charity shows that i like doing a lot and then i did a um, a barbecue in st louis so like during the summer it would just be all locals it would be free there'd be food like everybody would be grilling and cooking out back and just like it always did really well the vibes were always really cool about it people always looked forward to it and then and i did like a couple christmas uh like toy drive shows oh that's so cool. I, always, I always try to do a lot of charity shows just because I don't know. It, it's a nice like uh, community building. Yeah, thing. definitely. People people get to feel more involved, and it doesn't seem like super singular. It's kind of like a community building thing, and it makes people feel like you know less shitty about themselves if they're just like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, I went to the show, but like I donated a toy to get in, so like that's kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> so just yeah. stuff like that. Like we, I always tried to do stuff like that. I did like a coat drive uh with mostly locals and like we i like stuffed my car completely full of like jackets and coats for a shelter and just stuff like that that's cool so yeah, there's a handful of shows like i keep a big list uh on my phone of like the bill with like the locals and like the like how many people paid and stuff like that just so i can look back on it if i ever get asked to book another band mm. and uh so yeah I, I mean i could go through that list and pick just probably something cool from each show like i don't think i've really had a show where i was just like holy shit i don't ever want to deal with that ever again but <laughs> yeah there's a few bands that I felt that way about, but for the most part, yeah. <laughs> every every show is cool in its own way, but some shows are a little bit less cooler than others. No, no, I get that. Oh, because like you were saying with the charity thing, I remember like we did one. It was only, it was like she just like we did donation on the door sort of thing, and it was just for like a, a local charity where we were. But it was around Christmas time, so we did it like anti Christmas. So rather than it being like cold and everything, we got all the bands who were playing to wear like hawaiian shirts and mm. we got like um like inflatable palm trees and stuff and oh that's could, but where the venue was it was like on a main road so if you walked past you could look in and see like all the bands so mm. obviously it was like peeing down with rain outside and everyone's looked in and there's like a beach scene and it just like the confusion <laughs> on people's faces was brilliant yeah i did that i did the christmas show i want to say four years in a row i even did it when i le i left st louis briefly for like a year and a half and lived in dayton ohio and then even when i was gone i still did the show like i drove back home and did it but we used to call it the uh the ho ho hardcore show nice and dude, it always did really well it was always super cool like the last one we did was um it was a kubla khan date that ended up happening to like fall around that time so like i think like 150 people ended up uh paying to get in and i don't know it was just good stuff nice. like that is, is is reassuring to like you know, uh, sometimes it sucks to book hardcore shows and it's really annoying, but like every so often, you know, you get to do something cool like that. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit more rewarding. That's cool. So in terms of you like moving to, to St. Louis, like was there a reasoning behind that? Uh, my dad was in the military. He retired okay. when we were, in, we were in Texas and he took a job uh, in the private sector in, in St. Louis. So he just ended up. That's cool. There. Sorry, excuse my flatmate. No, you're fine. <laughs> I, told my, I told my kids to stay downstairs. I was like, listen, I got to talk to somebody for a while. Just hang out. If you need, if I was like, if something's on fire, like, come let me know. <laughs> so then I guess like, as you say, like, so then moving to, to St. Louis, like before you kind of got there, because obviously you were digging in and, and knew like what music was around. Did you know if there was a scene there before you moved or was it something you had to discover? 
yeah, I was reaching out to, to bands and like finding bands again on MySpace around that time and uh, was making friends through that and just kind of talking, like asking how things were there and like where's like certain venues, local stuff like that. So I kind of had a little bit of an idea when I first moved there um, and had like a few friends that I'd met through MySpace that I would see at shows and kind of like acclimate myself to that, that area. Cause I mean, I was like, I think I was 17 when we moved there. Mm. So like nobody is confident or like cool at that age. So it was like super <laughs> yeah. awkward anyway. So it's like, oh, this makes this a little bit easier, a little bit better. And then I pretty much went to, we moved there in the winter. And once summer hit, I think I went to every single show That's that cool. I could possibly go to that summer just to go out and meet people and see bands. Mm. So then in terms of kind of like, you, we've mentioned like that first like punk band, but you said there was obviously the, the gap. So I guess like, what was the first band that you would kind of consider like your quote unquote like proper bands that you was active and sort of doing more shows going out on tours and things like that um i had a couple bands in st i, I was in a band called lethal enforcer that played a handful of shows it just sounded like old new york hardcore and then me and our singer drew and some of those guys started a band called can we win that just sounded like floor punch that played out of town a few times and and like put out a demo we were supposed to do a seven inch but ended up working and then we just broke up and Drew actually joined this other band called Perfect People, mm. which kind of sounded more like Carry On and Right Brigade. And they were a band for probably about a year or so. And then I joined on second guitar. And once I joined, we did one weekend and did a seven inch and then like a few tapes. That was probably the first band that like started to do some more stuff. We were playing bigger shows. We got to go out of town a few times, stuff like that. But that band like quickly dissolved after I joined probably, I think maybe another year and a half. And then the band just like abruptly broke up one day. I'd already moved. I moved to Dayton, Ohio for a year and a half after my second daughter was born. And the first month I was there, uh, they broke up. <laughs> okay. The other guys were just like, we don't want to do this anymore. Tonight's our last show. And I was just like, well, I'll head home then I guess. So I like pack all my stuff up in my car to make the five hour drive back home. I hit like, the Indiana state line, which is maybe 45 minutes from the house I was living in. And I was just like, dude, fuck this. And I turned around and I just went home. <laughs> like, you didn't even right. play the last show. No, I didn't. I didn't play the last show. I was just like, dude, fuck it. Who cares? Like they don't care about this. I'm not driving five hours to go play this. It was a stupid show. It was with like code orange and somebody else it was like an off date on a tour that they were on. I was just like, I don't want to play a last show under these circumstances. So I just won't play it at all. <laughs> Did the rest of the guys still play or? Yeah, yeah, they played without me. I was just like, fuck it. I even told them, I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And then I just went home. <laughs> they That's were all amazing. Like, Are you sure you're going to show up? And I was just like, yeah, man, I'll be there. And I was just like, dude, fuck. I hit the Indiana line. I was like, dude, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not driving another four and a half hours to play this stupid ass show. That's amazing. That's so good. We, we tried to plan like a proper thing later. And it just, everybody was kind of like, dude, it's fucking, it's past its time. Like, just like, I was like, that's fine. And then I ended up moving back to St. Louis and, 2017 i think like mm. the, the later part of 20 i think like in mid or late august i moved back and me and drew's old band can we win actually did a reunion because we needed a band for some show that we were doing we were we just really needed a local and i was just like yeah fuck it we'll just do that again yeah and i was i bought a guitar i was ready i was like cool like we'll start playing music again this be fun played that set remembered how much i hated those songs and then immediately sold my guitar the next day. Oh, shit. I was just like, dude, fuck this. I don't want to do this anymore. Because <laughs> once we moved to Ohio the first time, I was just kind of like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, there's no hardcore scene in Dayton at the time. 
the closest shows are an hour away i was kind of like i'm I'm just gonna kind of chill and just be fucking normal suburban ass parent and just hang out with my kids and my wife and then once we moved back just like no i'm gonna play music again like this is the thing i like doing i sold my guitar the day after that show and i was just like fuck it i'll just book shows again or i'll just hang out i don't care about this and then our friends in this band uh no thanks were supposed to play uh one of the christmas shows that i was doing but the last minute their bass player couldn't make it or something like that so i learned all these songs on bass over the course of like i don't know two or three weeks and then played that show with them and then the next day bought a guitar (laughs) and and started writing uh started writing the time and pressure demo at like the first month of 2018 so january i love the fact oh my god it was like my wife was just like dude make up your fucking mind like (laughs) fill in sell a guitar fill in buy a guitar like dude jesus christ like okay yeah i could imagine just oh that's just so around that time like i was just i was just had my guitars i've always wanted to do a band like time and pressure with drew Mm. and perfect people perfect people was kind of like that but the drummer wrote all of the music and recorded all of the music so basically it was we were just like a scab band for like a dem- like demos that he wrote mm. so around this time my kids were my kids were still little at the time so they were taking naps and shit so like during their their nap time i would just sit and record riffs and like write songs and that's what ended up being uh, our demo and then like a couple songs from the first lp that's cool so before we kind of do- jump into time and pressure in a bit more detail like because you said like you and drew have been in various sort of bands and stuff before so how did you guys meet in, in the first instance fucking so i've known drew for 12 years now mm. i think um he, there's an old message board in st louis uh it's just like the st louis hardcore message board and i was selling some records on there and i had an old minor threat record in my collection that i was uh i was just gonna sell i was just trying to wait for a decent offer and i could get like a good chunk of money for it and he's he lowballed me super fucking hard on it <laughs> and i was just like no and that's how we became friends basically like, I got like that was our first interaction his band at the time was looking for a bass player and i was just like fuck it i can do that so i went over to his uh, apartment a handful of times to learn the songs on bass and i was just like oh man this band sucks like i don't want to do this anymore but like we can hang out and, like, <laughs> we've, been, we've been friends ever since then I love the like both interactions are like one him trying to like do you out with some money and the second one you telling him his band sucks that's brilliant Dude, it, oh, he knows I mean he doesn't think it sucks I mean he should know it sucks but he's probably, <laughs> listening, he's probably listening to this right now like you just couldn't play the songs which is like partially true but like also those songs sucked <laughs> that's so good so yeah then, we've been friends with him since then I think I was probably shoot I was probably 19 yeah I think when, when we first started hanging out maybe 20 so then in terms of like time and pressure, as you say, like that other band you were in was kind of on that sound a little bit, but maybe not so much. And we've kind of touched upon like the ruiner aspects. And I think like, so for me, like time and pressure hit that really sweet spot of like, ru- like of, of, of a sound that I miss. So like ruiner, like carry, like the carrier, like killing the dream. Mm-hmm. So like, was that the sound that you guys wanted to, like when you first started writing things um so i pretty much just wrote the demo Mm. on my own the the way the demo is now is pretty much like how i wrote those songs uh initially so i just wanted to sound like carry on which is like super super fucking evident in those demo songs because it's just like 
uh, our song Crimson Pig, if you listen to that and then listen to the carry on or the Count Me Out song, uh, South Street, it's the same song basically. <laughs> but like, so I really like Carry On and, and Count Me Out and just stuff like that. I've wanted to do a band like that for a long time. So I was like, fuck it, I'll just write these songs and then we'll just see where it goes. We had a drummer, um, it didn't work out. And then we got Travis, who drums with us now. He's been our drummer since. I think we practiced with that other guy maybe a handful of times. It just wasn't working. Um, so we let him go. And then we got Travis probably, I want to say in like May. Mm. And then we played our first show in June with him. Yeah. That's and that cool. was like our first, our first show all together. But yeah, I wrote those songs and told Drew, like, I want to do this. Let's put together a band. And then we've had Dave. Dave joined in on bass. And then um, we had a second guitar player at that time too, but he just wasn't able to do it. Um, so he ended up leaving. He's in the, uh, the band Direct Measure. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, then we didn't have a second guitar player for a long time. We were a four-piece for a good while. We were mm. four-piece through the first LP. And then when the first LP was about to come out, that's when we got our current bass player. And Dave, our bass player at the time, moved over to second guitar. Oh, okay, cool. So we've, we've kind of had the same lineups for the same lineup for about two years. But during the early part, there was, there was some shifting around and... We had like a couple of people try to come in and play bass and it didn't work out and it was just like a whole thing. Yeah. So then in terms of kind of like, I guess like the sort of touring side, we've kind of touched upon it a little bit, but has Time and Pressure been like the first band that you've like been on, on sort of like substantial tours with and, and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like that for most of us. Uh, our bass player or our other guitar player um, was in like a pop punk band when he was younger mm. that did like a couple weeks, I think. But other than that, I think this is the band that's done the most uh, touring and the most really anything uh, out of like all of our bands that we've been. Um, that was the goal from from Jump, really. I told them, I was just like, yo, I'm in a position to be able to do this more. Um, so I want to do it as much as we can. Yeah. So like, I think before we even had a demo recorded, I booked um, three small tours, like three weekends uh for us before we even had music out <clears throat> just because i was cashing in favors from from like other bands that i yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the promoters so like between i think our demo came out in august and i want to say we did like our first weekend in august like we did weekends in august september and october and then just kind of been consistently doing just like weekends and a little bit longer runs and stuff like that as much as we can mm. that was the goal from the very beginning was to tour as much as would, would be possible because some of us like I have two kids. Our drummer has a kid. Drew's a teacher. Like our bass player is a child. He can do what the fuck he wants. And then <laughs> Dave, our other guitar player, is in the military, and like he flies planes and shit for a living. So like he can just be gone for three months. Yeah, yeah. At, like the drop of a hat. So like that, we ended up playing LDB Fest without him because he had to go do something for work. So it's more. It's just juggling schedules and being like, all right, cool. Can anybody do something for like these few days? It's like mm. we all can. All right, cool. Let's go. So it's always been the goal to be out as much. Just St. Louis bands don't really get a chance to tour that often, and we kind of wanted to be that one that did. Yeah, but like in terms of that, like because obviously you'd done like these other bands previously, and then kind of maybe had time away, as you say. And by the time like time and pressure was maybe sort of getting the gears going, like you've had like lived experience in in sort of quote unquote the normal world. Mm-hmm. before you've kind of done and i know obviously as you say like you're cashing in favors from from booking shows and things but do you think because you'd had like life experience that 
touring was maybe a little bit easier than if you'd done it like when you were sort of like 16 17 kind of thing oh no i think it's so much harder now okay it was then. It's just my schedule is so everyone's schedule is just so much more like full yeah and, like fucked up i just happen to have a wife that's just like cool with me being gone for a few days <laughs> at a time she's just like she fucking hates it but she's just like it's fine whatever i don't care just don't remind me about it until like the day before you're about to dip so I, I think it's just like good timing on everyone's in everyone's life at that point. It was just like, all right, cool. Like we're all able to do this. Uh, so let's do it as much as we can. It's kind of getting to a point where I don't think we can as much anymore. Mm. And we're kind of like trying to navigate that and like have that discussion. Like, do we want to keep touring more? Like, are we going to be fine with being a band that only gets to do like a few things a month or a few things a year? Or should we just like kind of fucking call it and like, because everyone in this band is fairly older. Like I'm, I'm going to be 32 soon and everyone else is like 34, 35. And then our bass player is like 22. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, he can do it the fuck he wants and it's fine. But the rest of us have like mortgages and like kids and like real shit going on. So it's like getting kind of hard. And I don't want to be that band that just like kind of lingers on when they shouldn't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're, I think we're kind of having like these weird conversations about like what we want to do in the future. Mm. Cause I mean, last year, obviously, we were supposed to tour a lot. Like we had a lot of a lot of plans. We we're supposed to fly to California. Like the week shutdowns happened. Oh shit! Like we found out we weren't going the day before. We we're supposed to leave like the next afternoon, and we found out like the day before that like we weren't able to make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, that happened to everybody. It is mm. what it is. I think it just really kind of. I think it really just kind of matters like how you handle it. I think we did a lot of cool stuff during quarantine that kind of. I feel good about our band from from like a point like that because we were able to do a lot of cool creative stuff that I had fun doing. So I mean, like we missed a year of gigs, whatever. Yeah, I think that's the funny thing. And there's like so many bands like because obviously there were bands that had like plans for 2020, mm -hmm. but there was so many that got almost caught in the crosshairs of like things being locked down. Like I know like one step closer were over here in Europe and they yeah. had to like literally jump ship sort of thing. I, I was out on tour and we were in Copenhagen. So we had to like literally drive back from Denmark to the UK and stuff like that. And it was just so many, yeah, just so many bands like in that situation. It was crazy. Yeah. And I mean, it sucks and it is what it is. Like during the time I was just like, yo, this fucking blows. And I'm just like everybody, I think we were all just like, ah, oh, so like two, three months <laughs> yeah we at that point it's like yeah we'll just reschedule like we we're supposed to go in mid-march i was like we'll just reschedule for the summer it'll be fine because we had summer shows booked too we had like i plan i do all the booking for us yeah. so i plan everything out in like six month increments so i'm just like okay cool like once january hits i'm starting to book all the way up until like june july and then once like the spring hits then i'm starting to book for like the remainder of the year so i had i had like plans and shows already booked all the way up until june july with like tentative dates set for the rest of the year pretty mm. much and then all of it was just slowly going yeah away. no I I... Like, well, fuck it i guess we'll do other stuff instead and we ended up like sitting on the record for a lot longer and yeah because we were supposed to record the record in april and we decided not to and then just spent april to november reworking like every single song like we would spend like a week or two each song and then just rewrite and revamp all the whole thing mm. and i i was completely the same because i i was doing a lot well my plan was to do a lot of tour driving throughout 2020 mm -hmm. 
and I was the same. I had like stuff booked up until like mid June, July. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I can do festival season. But as you say, like just one by one, just everything yeah, canceled, uh, canceled. We, like, we were all talking about it and they're just like, well, don't cancel the summer dates. It was, uh, we were supposed to do something in like the, la- the later part of June. And I think it was around April, May around this time. And I was just like, I'm going to reach out and cancel these with the guy. And then everybody's like, no, no, like it'll be fine. We'll just kind of play by ear. And then June came around and I was just like, well, I guess we're not doing those anymore. <laughs> yeah. But before we kind of get on to like the, the situation with the with the new record, but just in terms of like where the growth of Time and Pressure, I guess. So I came across you guys off the back of the first LP. So I think because I, it must have been uh, like Safe Inside Records have posted it or something. I can't remember how I found it, but that was how I first my first introduction to you guys. But in terms of like... I don't know, like you from an insider seeing the band grow, was there a particular moment when you kind of were like, oh shit, like people outside of St. Louis are given, like giving us the time of day and people further afield actually give a shit about this band? I think it was when we started touring further out because I, I did it, I, I was very like calculated about this shit. I was much, I was just like, listen, this is like the things we should do to make this work it's mm. like bands like ours don't really like get a lot of pull and stuff like that because not a lot of people are in the faster stuff around this time so it's just like if we just start in our area and slowly spread out further and further it's like it'll help so we just keep continuing to put out music we'll try to get on different things blah blah all this other shit and i was like i'll keep booking shows we'll play ones that i think we work on it's like we'll kind of just build up this contacts list so i can do show trades with people so i think really it was just like starting with our region and then just slowly starting to spread out and i think it like really kind of hit for us when we were like we were in like fucking rhode island or like rochester on our first like bigger like longer tour we did with uh with chemical fix like mm. the first time we bought those guys and the fact that like 75 people came to see us in rochester new york and the guy was just like yeah man sorry like normally shows do a lot better than this but half heart was the day before or something like that <laughs> yeah and i was just like there's 75 fucking people here we only had a demo out at that point like just the demo tape that safe inside had put out and then we had done like personal copies of ourselves like we'd done ourselves so i think around that time like when the demo came out we were touring more it was just like oh shit like this is starting to get kind of real and then we played prom core and it just kind of snowballed from there it was just like prom core i think was the big like turning point for us mm. his prom core was our first stuff that hate five six ever filmed or no it might have been our second because he came to st louis uh for some uh whack-ass fest that this other band put on that like nobody was at it that's a whole thing i don't want <laughs> to get into it it's whatever <laughs> but, but uh we played prom core and like we'd never been to oklahoma before and people knew the words and like, it was, it was just like a wild experience. And then we started touring more and it kind of just spread and people, we always get the same things like, Oh, you guys sound like what I listened to when I first got into hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> I think we kind of hit like that soft spot with some people and then it just kind of spread. Yeah. And there's like a small like scene of that, I think where there's like faster bands, more melodic bands and that we all kind of, you know, like push each other up, especially like the dudes in like discourage and tuning uh like any band that matt tyler touches that is like the most uplifting person i've ever met in my entire life (laughs) but he's always down to like just push your band as much as you can and i think a lot of people see that and want to replicate that to not look like an asshole yeah 
I don't know. I think it's a lot of that. And then just the fact that we just kept going all the time, even if we played shot shows, I was like, it's cool, man. We're in Rhode Island. I don't give a shit if we're playing to 25 people and it's like fucking 1130 at night. It's like, we're in Rhode Island because of that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And just cause like you said, like the, the goal was always to be sort of like out on the road and stuff, but you also mentioned kind of like the scheduling conflicts and, and stuff between you. So I don't know, like, how did you find that balance? Because, like, as you said, like, 2020, you had all these plans. But, like, I know you were, like, a super active band before, like, the pandemic as well. So, I don't like, can you talk me through a bit, like, how you managed to do that? Because, like, I, I know there's other bands that are in a similar situation to you where members either have, like, full-time jobs, they have families and stuff, mm-hmm. and they they kind of play the, like, like weekend warrior kind of role sort of thing like without that sounding like a bad term so how did you manage to work it that you could be on the road as much as you were i just kind of know everyone's schedule Mm. so basically like drew i know drew's school breaks because they're the same school breaks as my kids travis has his son like every other weekend and like on certain holidays and stuff like that so i basically and then dave is kind of whatever his schedule's all fucking weird anyway and then Blake uh, worked at like fucking Marshalls at the time. So he could just do whatever he wanted. Like, he, he, he lives at home and he has like no bills. He can do whatever <laughs> fuck he wants. So it was basically just like, hey, I want to be gone these days. Is that cool with everybody? And someone would be like, no, I can't. Or can it be the next weekend or something? I'd be like, all right, cool. Because I plan so far in advance that I can work this stuff out six months ahead of people's schedules so they can like take off work or they can make arrangements for someone to watch their child or some shit like that. Mm. So it's usually, it's usually just so much like advanced planning that kind of just does it. And I didn't have a job for like the majority of the time of this band. Okay. So I just did shit to fill that time. So I'd like book our tours and like design all of our merch and stuff like that. Like most of the design work that comes from us is just from me being bored. Yeah. Yeah. That's so like cool. not having shit, especially when my, my oldest started school and it was just like me and my youngest, we would just kind of hang out and I'd just be emailing people and like messaging people about shows and things yeah. like that. Well, I think that's a nice point because I wanted to touch upon like the design aspect of it and like the other stuff that you do outside of the band. But like in terms of like the graphic design thing, is that something that you've always had an interest in or is that just because like you know the bands have to have like merch and stuff that you kind of delved into it and then have kind of honed your craft a little bit? I think it was just, I first started doing it just to make flyers mm. for, for shows that I booked. I just didn't want to pay other people to do it. So I didn't have the money for it. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll just do it. Like, it can't be that hard. So I, I learned Photoshop from just doing flyers. And then um, I didn't really start taking it seriously until probably the last three years. Yeah. And then that's like, uh, I started working on some small layouts and like I did the tape layout for Time and Pressure. Time and Pressure is really the big reason that I got more into design just because I wanted to do shirts and have merch for us where we didn't have to pay out of pocket for other design work to do it. Yeah. I, can just, I could just get better at this for free and just do it that way. That's kind of how it did. And then people ended up liking some of the stuff that I did. And that's kind of how it built like my client base with doing like layouts and merch for other bands. And I do all the art for like the safe inside record stuff, like all the ads and test press covers and stuff like that for certain bands. That's cool. So if, is a safe inside kind of like, I don't want to say they're your biggest client because obviously they're a friend of yours. They're definitely like... the most consistent. Um, and that's the one I do the work for. I talked to Bert, on a, the, the owner, on a pretty regular basis. I, I just did a whole bunch of stuff for Headcount because their record's coming out. And then I did a handful of things for like the Chemical Fix record. And I did all the stuff for like our record. So pretty much whenever he has something coming out, 
he'll hit me with like a list of things that he needs. And then I just kind of dole it out that way. I've been working as like the graphic designer guy for Safe Inside for, I think it'll be a year in November. That's cool. So it's pretty consistent work. It's steady and it's always fun. He kind of, Bert kind of just lets me do whatever I want within reason. And then because of that, like I've picked up other stuff like layouts with, that's how I've met like the discouraged guys. Cause I, like I did their seven inch layout and then it just kind of spread from there. And every so often I'll get hit up to do some, some random design stuff for people. That's cool. So if we kind of move on to sort of um, halfway down, obviously, like you mentioned earlier that obviously the plan was to kind of have that out earlier, but obviously because of COVID and everything that kind of pushed that back. And you, I think it's quite interesting. So I think a lot of bands, they've either used this time period to write new music or they've, they're kind of sat on something and they're sort of scratching to get it out. But you said like you you tweaked and fine tuned. So I don't know, like, was that like a tentative step? Cause I think like it's, there's always a danger to kind of go back and listen to something that you've recorded. And then like you, you might end up hating it and scrapping it completely. So I don't know why, why did you want to do it in that way? So there's 10 songs on the record. And I think around February ish Feb when February hit we played LDB and we decided to take like a little bit of time until we did our next tour to to sit and start writing some more because we'd just been kind of tinkering with songs and like writing a handful of things and it was getting closer and closer to when we were supposed to record in April I think we had eight songs written and we're just like oh cool we'll just like have two more we'll have a full length blah 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 stuff and then we started we take videos of songs um when we record like when we've tune them out and like everything's cool we'll take a video of it just so we can kind of listen to it over and over again like to see if there's changes we want to make or if just to remember the songs basically too. yeah and we were listening to songs and drew brought up he's just like i don't think these songs are finished like a month before we're supposed to go record okay and i was just like yeah i'm kind of getting like that same that same feeling like something these songs feel rushed and like not complete mm. so we had like a talk about it it got it got a little argumentative but it was more or less just like bucket we have time let's just work on these because we're supposed to go in april and we messaged uh the guy we're recording with andy and i was just like hey i think we want to push this back so we ended up pushing it back until like the late summer and then we just kept working on the songs so we would we would practice like once or twice a week and just pick a song that day and then just spend the entire night working on it so like some songs we probably spent like anywhere between like one to six hours just like going over things, working on the song Paradise Lost was probably the one that took the longest, I think, uh, the, the last song on the record. Mm. I want to say, I feel like we fucking worked on that song for like a month. <laughs> Such a pain in the ass. It's like a simple song, but oh my God, I don't know what the problem was. It was just none of us could like grasp like what we wanted to do with it. But yeah, we just spent all that time working. And then when August rolled around, we pushed it back again. Uh, and we didn't end up going up to Chicago until mid november i think mm. to record the record and right before we left um dave had to go to qatar for work oh shit just gone for three months like so we went up and recorded the record without him mm. he he was in the middle east so i recorded two tracks of guitars and then when he got home he recorded his parts uh on his macbook through garage band oh shit that's and cool we sent them to andy andy you know fucking studio magic it up and then that's how the record that's cool. Then we send it for mastering and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I, I am very glad that we were able to take that amount of time 
and work on those songs because I think if we put out the record that we did originally, it would have been bad. <laughs> we enough. all would have like we all would have regretted it and just been like, ugh, like because I don't know, the songs just weren't listening to them now. Those songs are way way better than they were. Yeah, I'm very thankful that we got like a solid like six months of just prep time to work on them and that that's the promo we recorded the promo like in the middle of all of the writing mm. just to just like fuck it we'll record four of these songs and we'll use them for something down the line i'm sure and that's what ended up being like the flexing the tape we just happened to have them but those songs or those two tracks are just demo versions of songs that ended up on the lp but they yeah. sound similar i think there might be some small differences on like lead parts that dave wrote but for the most part it's just the same song recorded at a different studio mm. And so then, like, in terms of kind of before the record came out, as you say, you, like, you had that promo out. And I think, like, because obviously I, I was a fan anyway, and I know, like, quite a few people here were, but it seemed like when that promo hit, there seemed to be, like, loads of people that were like, oh, shit, new time and pressure sort of thing. And obviously, like, now the record's out, like, people are, like, really digging the record and stuff like that. So... Obviously, I know because of COVID and everything, like people have been like just absorbing new music and like there seems to be like a rejuvenated excitement about hardcore in particular. So I don't know when you dropped that, like the, the, the promo, did you kind of see that like trajectory at all or have you not kind of felt that at all? Yeah, I think so. Because we hadn't put out new music and so we did a split with Discourage. Mm that came out in May of 2020. So it was like right before everyone was out buying like a ton of records. I bought a shitload of records during the pandemic. <laughs> yes, I... like, like an obscene amount of records. I went from having 20 to, I wanna say, I have a pile that I need to put onto Discogs right now, but I think I'm at like 650 Oh, what? okay, that is a yeah, lot. <laughs> I bought a lot of records, dude. Like I sold off my collection like years back and I was just like, I miss buying records, whatever. And I just, I was Uber driving, not Uber driving, I was uh, door dashing during the beginning of the pandemic. And it was when a lot of people were just like, oh my gosh, delivery drivers are heroes. And we're like tipping really, really, really well. Oh, okay. So I just save all that money. Like my wife didn't have any, like we didn't have any like financial issues during it. We're lucky, we were lucky enough she kept her job the entire time. I wasn't fucking working anyway. So all the money that came in, I was like, I'm gonna buy records, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I bought somewhere between like, I don't know, 400 ish and 500 records over the course of like 18 months. That's, um, I'm kind of jealous, but at the same time, that's insane. <laughs> Dude, I, I was, I was feeling real good about it until I had to move. And I was just like, oh shit, I forgot. Records are very heavy when you, <laughs> like, you just sell this shit and restart again. So I've literally, I've literally just moved, but I haven't. So I'm thankful. The, my flatmate here at the moment, she's my best friend. She's been kind enough to like put me up until like I get my own place. So I haven't shifted all my records yet, but just packing mm. them up alone, I was like, Oh, my God, oh mate. It, like, as I was packing them up, I was like, oh, this doesn't seem like that many. And then I started carrying the boxes upstairs. And I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks so much. But um, anyway, so when we put, so we did the promo, or not the promo, the, the split with Discourage. It was like two, we recorded one song over again from the demo that we rewrote, like the intro to. And then I want to say we did Psalm 38.9. That was the first time that song was ever recorded was mm. uh, that split. That's, that's why I ended up on the LP is just because that split, I mean, I feel like it kind of fell under the radar just because we weren't able to do anything with it. And it was still at that weird time. I think it came out like early May. So it was maybe like six weeks into the pandemic. I think like lockdowns were starting to happen a lot more and it's starting to get more serious. Um, 
but yeah, once the promo came out, we started seeing like a lot more listeners on like Spotify and stuff like that. And we were starting to get a lot more attention and I was just like, Oh shit. All right, cool. Like people like those songs. That's good. Cause I feel like it's a little bit of a departure from like the, the demo and the seven or in the, yeah. in the, the first LP. It's a little bit more refined and a little bit more like wimpy sounding. So I was kind of worried that people wouldn't like it as much. Hmm. So then I definitely think we went more melodic yeah. uh, on, on this new stuff. Cause the stuff before it was mainly just me writing most of it. So it all kind of like blended together. And then I, I definitely think that the halfway down was easily like the most collaborative, like, music project i've ever worked on mm. like everybody brought something to it even if it was something super small like everyone had a piece or like a hand of like crafting each of these songs I that's cool because i mean it all brought us closer together too we were fighting all the fucking time and like writing that record definitely i feel like kind of like eased that tension a lot yeah. we're spending we weren't spending close time like quarters with each other like we were when we were touring we'd see each other like once or so like once or twice a week and it was mainly just be writing so i think it i think quarantine definitely like helped our band not fucking break up in the middle of some state yeah and so just to touch upon it because you say like this is more collaborative with the gateway city were you the like the predominant writer with that one then so the gateway city the b side is the demo which i wrote all of yeah and then the a side was more or less just like me and dave with a few songs okay um, so when we did the second lp it was pretty much everyone like me and Dave would come with like a skeleton of a song and then like our drummer would just be like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did something like that sound like this uh, during this part, or if we change this part to this part or rearrange, like everyone had like a hand in like arranging the parts and stuff. Cause me and Dave both will just write riffs or like skeletons of whole songs. This motherfucker will plug his shit into like his, his laptop add drum tracks and like bass breaks and like all that stuff. I'm literally just like recording into my phone, like to the, like a voice memo in the speaker and just be like, hey, it's, and I'll put it up to my pickup so everyone can hear it. And it's like, hey, it sounds like this. <laughs> and his has like drums and like production and stuff. And I was just like, fuck man, I'm sorry. Like that's what I got. That, that's kind of how the LP was written. It was more or less just like bring some riffs and then everyone kind of just pieced it all together. That's cool. Um, and before like, we kind of start to wrap things up. I just want to say, because obviously, I know that you touched upon like you're kind of thinking about plans and stuff for the future, but just in terms of like where you were in terms of, as, as I mentioned, like being an active band, but having such a busy, busy schedule, obviously yourself, like you've mentioned, obviously wife and kids and stuff like that. So, and you've mentioned how accommodating your wife is, but for, for you, like, was it, a case of having to balance like family life and touring or was it i don't know how did you kind of fit things around that um I, my wife honestly was like the the reason i was able to we were able to do like as much cool shit she was very cool about it like her mom would come and visit and like help watch the kids while i was gone and just things like that she's been super accommodating throughout the whole the whole process basically and i think having me home constantly for like a year and a half spoiled her and she's just like nope can't go anywhere now Sorry. <laughs> and it's just to point out that my kids are getting older i don't want to be gone all the time or mm. even really like ever and i think we're getting to the point where it's just like all right cool we did like demos and two lps and a split and like all such stuff it's like there's i don't want to keep rewrite i don't keep writing the same record yeah yeah and keep doing the same shit over and over and over again so i don't want to i don't want to like overstay our welcome basically mm. So I'm kind of just getting to the point where I'm just like, I think we should maybe talk or like have a conversation about like 
maybe what we want to accomplish before we don't do this anymore yeah yeah so like just basically like a list of like should we do another release should halfway down be the last one or like should we do these tours and stuff so we're kind of like some people are more susceptible to it than others and i think it's i don't know i, I want it to be an amicable thing because i don't like i said me and drew's old band I just fucking broke up one day <laughs> and that was it i really really would like to avoid that this time around because i live nine hours away now yeah I'm sure it's fucking driving for that so <laughs> i'd really like for us to be able to like plan it out rather than it just like happen abruptly but i think we're just kind of playing it by ear because none of us expected people to like the lp this much so we're just like oh well, shit well maybe we should you know do a little bit more before we we have this conversation yeah well so that's what i was going to ask like because obviously i know like you guys were kind of doing other things as well like during like the pandemic like obviously you did a couple of live streams and like you did mm -hmm. like the different merch drops and things like that and it for lack of a better term it did bring more eyes to you in some aspects as, as and as well as the new record so uh, you may not have even had these conversations yet but has that made you kind of reassess like where you are as a band because like you're you are getting more attention now and like yeah i don't know has, has that kind of like made you think like oh well maybe we can do like this tour on the on the east coast maybe we can go to europe and things like that i think it, i think it's starting to get that way we've had european offers before and it just like doesn't work a lot mm. of the time like the timing just we were supposed to go to france uh in july uh we got asked to play the super bowl hardcore oh cool and it wasn't it just like wasn't able to work out i mean obviously they postponed it and everything like i know the the covid like guidelines and and like barriers and stuff are, are pretty stringent <clears throat> like in europe and england because we would love to go there obviously like there's a lot of people like in germany that would want to see us that we've like had people reach out to and stuff like that so i think it'd be cool but i think it's really just more or less like can it work financially and like mm. like through our schedules and stuff like that but i think now that the record's getting as much attention as it is like it's it's overwhelming and it's like very humbling it's it's super cool because we all love those songs and we were just kind of hoping that other like maybe 10 other people would like that or like a, like some people would like it still or and it, it's definitely reached a lot more people than we expected yeah and we almost sold out of the first press already of the record in like a week or two. So it's just like, holy shit. All right. Well, I guess people like our band still. So because we didn't do anything for so like we didn't put out anything major for like two years. Like, yeah. The Game of City Sound came out in 2019 mm. and then we didn't put our second LP out until now. So it's just like maybe people have forgotten like that's cool. Whatever shit moves fast. Like that's how it is. But we started getting like some tour offers. We started getting fest offers. And it kind of has everyone kind of reassessing the situation. You're like, well, fuck, maybe we just do this for like a little bit longer and kind of just see where it goes mm. rather than like start planning stuff out. Like, oh, let's break up next summer. That's what I wanted to do. I was just like, fuck it. I was like, let's call it next June. Done. But now we're all kind of just like, maybe not. Maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. And just because we're talking about fests and it's something that I really want to go to and I don't know if it's going to be a possibility in the near future or not, but I have to ask about LDB because just, it just looks like the best festival. So how was it's it? It's so well run. And I, so when we played, we played on Friday or we played on Thursday, we played the pre-show on Thursday. It was like the most people we've ever played in front of. It was fucking nerve wracking. So we played and then hung out the rest of the day. I got sick. Oh shit. I missed, I saw three bands on Friday 
went back to our hotel that we were at and then slept the entire day and then woke up the next morning and uh drove home i like rented a car and drove home because i was, I, was <laughs> I, I, I was too sick and i was supposed to go to disney world monday i think so it was supposed to be like you know be gone be in louisville for a few days come home sunday and fly out monday to go to disney world with my, with my family so i was just like dude i'm too fucking sick like i have to go home so i drove home got a test and like they told me like yeah you have the flu got my antibiotics i still ended up going to disney world and, like my flu subsided like around the time that i was there but like now people are just like well you probably had covid and i was like no dude i had the fucking flu like <laughs> the thing on my nose and they're just like yeah you got the flu so i didn't get to do any of the cool parts oh, of all these no. <laughs> the last band i saw was heartstopper i think they played third that day yeah I'm just like well fuck I, i'm so bummed about it too because there's a lot of bands i really wanted to see like i really wanted to see fiddlehead because i didn't really care for fiddlehead around that time and i know that if i see a band it kind of it helps click for yeah me. yeah and then when their record came out that recent one i get it now i really like that that band but it's just like fuck man i could have seen them i didn't see drain like anything cool, really <laughs> like i saw all the bands that we played with pre-show were sick and then like three bands from the first day and i just had to go home oh no that sucks well so yeah i didn't really get like from what i hear it was great <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i didn't get to do any of the cool stuff like it's really well ran and like alex and ryan i feel like put a lot of time and like attention into like making sure it's just like a very smoothly run fest a very like grassroots but also still like very professionally ran like operation mm. and they just do a lot of cool stuff for louisville and like they booked a few shows for us out down there and like louisville's just a cool place everyone's yeah, very yeah. Nice, super welcoming like there's just something in the fucking water there that just makes good bands come from that area like uh, yeah um, it sucks i didn't get to do like any of the cool shit of like the biggest fest that we played i was just like well i'm sick and i have to go home now. oh so, dude well hopefully yeah, you get okay. to do it again at some point yeah, that's definitely another fest I'd like to go to. And even if we're not playing, it's just the lineup's always really cool. And, mm. it, you know, we're doing prom core in October, which is always, like, that's one of my favorite things that we've done. Yeah. Like prom core. And prom core is uh, how we ended up doing shows with Defeater. They saw oh, okay, cool. We played there. We did, like, three shows with them. That's how we got hooked up with, with Derek to do, like, the, the tape stuff through Version City. But, like, we played some smaller fests. We, the LDB was definitely the biggest one. I think, like that's a goal that a few of us have had was to play like a bigger regional fest. And I think like, like United blood yeah, or, you know, this is hardcore. It's not a stuff like that. Stuff like that seems a little unattainable for a band like us, but like, it would just be like a cool thing to do type of thing. And LDB was like as close to like a big, rec like nationally recognized fest as we had done. So I think it was like, it was kind of validating. It was just like, Oh cool. Like they like what we're doing. That's kind of sick. Yeah. Like, I was just, yeah. You sound like, Another mistake, which is a band from Louisville that we take huge fucking influence from. So it's just like, all right, that's a big compliment. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, and just f finally, just for kind of do wrap things up. Obviously, like you said, like now you're kind of nine hours away from the other guys. So how are you? Like again, is this a conversation that you've kind of spoke about of like how things are going to run, or is that not even been touched on yet? We we started talking about that before I even left. Oh, told okay. The way I moved happened very quickly. Um, my wife and I had kind of just like talked about it a little bit. She's from Ohio originally. Um, her whole family is like three hours south of us. Right. Okay. Um, so we, her office or her job had an office out here and she was kind of like, I think I want to do it, but we've never been here before. So we came up and visited one weekend. She was like, I think we should do this. 
So I flew up a couple times to look at houses and stuff. And then we flew up one more time and then bought a house. And I came back and told the guys, I was like, oh, hey, offer got accepted on a house. I close in 30 days. I'm moving in a month. Oh, shit. Because before then, they were just like, yeah, okay, sure. Like, we've definitely heard you say that you're going to move before. Because my, my wife and I are very indecisive people. Right, okay. So we're just like, yeah, we're going to move. Fuck it, let's move. And we just never moved. And then this time, we're just like, yeah, I think we're going to do it. And everyone's like, oh, okay, I'm sure. And then I hit him back with, I'm out in like four to five weeks. I'll see <laughs> you never. So yeah, that I mean, so before then, we kind of just talked. I was just like, I'll fly home when I can. Um, we have a person that will fill in for me during like local shows and stuff like that. It's uh, our drummer's fiance. She plays guitar in this band, Blight Future. Oh, cool. Way better, way better fucking guitar player than I am. So I was just like, all right, I feel comfortable with that. Like, that's okay. And then when we do out of town stuff, like I'll fly home or like I'll fly to meet them. Yeah. Or we'll just be starting a bunch of tours in Ohio. Whatever is the easiest. Cause I'm flying home for the record release and then getting a ride down to Tulsa for prom Corps with them. And then I'll fly back to Cleveland from Tulsa that's cool and then they're coming out here in December to play Cleveland and then we're playing a fest in Grand Rapids uh in December too that's so cool. we're trying to find ways to make it work I think we're supposed to try and fly out to California again in the spring if everything kind of you know if there is a way to do that yeah. <laughs> I guess what yeah everything's kind of still up in the air even even from me moving away like everything's still kind of up in the air with just with Delta in general like the, the COVID variants and all this other stuff like we're very apprehensive to try and make plans again yeah I yeah, think, yeah i think a lot of bands are you're either apprehensive or you're just like fuck it let's go now and see what happens type of thing. yeah i think like a lot of bands here are of that more second like fuck it mindset at the moment like, yeah i saw like the the ukhc returns best thing happen yeah. and then like, dude it looks so cool there's so many cool bands like from that area and it's just like, man, I hope like like Chubby and the Gang comes to the U.S. at some point, or like Big Cheese and just shit like that stuff that I actually like want to see really badly. Yeah, I think I swear Big Cheese were meant to go over like last year. Big Cheese has definitely done like shows in the U.S. before. Yeah, I thought they had. I think yeah. it was more or less like on a like the East Coast, and there's like a few shows. But like I know like the Flex have come out and done like full U.S. tours. Yeah, yeah. Like, they did it with Violent Reaction one year. Um, and I know Chubby and the gang have played parts of the U.S. I know they, they played St. Louis one time. With yeah, I remember of, like, I spoke to I spoke to um, their vocalist and they said like, so I think they went to the States before mm -hmm. they'd even had like their first EP out or something. Yeah, and yeah, they did, a, they did a tour with Royal Hounds. Yeah. And uh, they played St. Louis. I didn't know about it. I, I wasn't super familiar with them at the time. And then after that, I was like, fuck, man, I really would have liked to see that. Because I love that first LP. Oh, same. It's so good. The new songs they put out are really good. And I was just like, man. So I imagine, like, as big as they've gotten over the last fucking two years, that they'll definitely be over here. Yeah, lot, yeah, uh, for sure. But, um, Jason, how I'd like to kind of round things off is to ask my guests what their favorite song is, but with a bit of a twist. And you might not be able to ask this because you've probably you haven't played any of the newer stuff live so i'll give you one that you do enjoy and one that you think you'll enjoy so what's okay. your favorite time and pressure song that you like to play live and why um i the favorite song probably crimson pig that's yeah. the first song we, that's the first song we've ever we ever wrote um and that's a song that we have played at every single show that we have ever played that's cool uh, it's always I don't know it's uh it's a good song it's mean too like it's got that cool riff in it and like Drew's lyrics are real fucking mean 
and like it's like i don't know it's a good song i like that one we've i think we've played it every single time we played something that's awesome like a thing that we, we someone noticed that recently <laughs> like i think we played that like every show and i was like well fuck it i guess we'll just keep doing it <laughs> like it's a good that's song cool. and then uh the next one probably on the waterfront i love that song like from the new lp that's my favorite song on that record that's cool it's- I, I think I'm glad that people are telling me they're just like, oh yeah, it's my favorite too. Cause like, oh man, I fucking love that song. It's good. <laughs> it's got that cool, like little clean guitar part in it. And then that snare hit and it just, yeah, like, goes it. it's, that's a good song. And then between the way or between the world and you is cool. It's a little bit more like metal tinged ish, I guess. It's just like melodic strife. That's, <laughs> that's what I said when I wrote that song. I was like, this is like strife. If they really liked, I don't know, modern life is war or some shit. That's cool. Perfect. Yeah. Probably, probably just those. Cool. Well, James, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was this was fun. Hopefully, we do see you over here at some point. Like, there's people that I know would love to see you, so and myself included. So yeah, hopefully, we get you here at some point. Yeah, we'll try. We'll see. <laughs> Perfect, James. Thank you very much for your time, mate. Take care. All right. Thank you. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to James for taking some time out of his day and having a little chat with me. As always, if you want to keep up to date with what Time and Pressure are doing, you can do so by visiting all their various social media platforms, which will be linked in the description notes of this podcast. Um, I know I've said it before, but we obviously do have our second charity sampler. The first lot of donations will be going to them on September 1st. So if you feel like donating to the Good Night Out campaign or just finding out a little bit more about them, head over to justaninsightpod.bandcamp.com. Chuck a couple of quid over there. It's a rad little sampler and it goes to a good cause. Always, if you want to give us a shout out, find out what we're doing on social media. We're just underscore and underscore pod. No, don't even know my own handles. Just underscore and underscore insight on both Instagram and Twitter. Just an insight podcast on Facebook. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. We potentially have a pretty big guest next week, but still finalising that out at the moment. But for now, as always, thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast, and I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.